The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasu, your host. Today, I have Anne Beal joining me. She is the CEO and founder of Beal Research. Welcome, Anne. Thanks for having me, Seema. Thank you. On a Friday late afternoon, I very much welcome this. It's and better it than doing other work. <laughs> exactly. Got a love Friday. Yeah. So thank you for joining me, Anne. And I'd love just to get a better sense of, you know, your journey in market research. You've been in the industry for several years. I'm not sure how many years and you don't have to tell me, but give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, so I've actually been in the industry for over 25 years. Cool. Yeah, started obviously when I was five. <laughs> um, yeah, I started actually uh, right out of graduate school. I went to a company called National Analyst, which is now called Naxion. Yep. And I got recruited to the Boston Consulting Group, where I headed up the market research function for several years in the Chicago office. And then I started my business, Field Research, 19 years ago. Wow. Um, yeah. What made you decide to start your own company? You know, I think it was a combination of things. It was partly that I don't really love working for other people. <laughs> uh, so there was that personality problem. But then, you know, I think it was I just had, you know, a real interest in doing certain types of research. And mm. quite honestly, Seema, I kind of got sick of, you know, coming up with ideas and having people say, um, yeah, maybe next study. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. And I felt like I had a lot of ideas. I felt like I had a lot of interest in doing some really neat stuff, but I didn't have a platform on which to do it. So that was kind of what started it, it all rolling, actually. That is really cool. Scary to start, you know, it was just me and the, and the cat. She was the yeah. first employee. Yeah, she did not work out. I had to fire her. <laughs> um, but I've since actually added eight wonderful people. And we are a small research firm and we do, we are small for a reason. We have decided Got it. to be small. It's by design. By design. We are small. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And what do you love about research? So I love the fact that at the end of the day, you know, I never really know how things are going to go. Yeah. And I don't often say, well, I really think this will be what we find. And then I find something completely different, you know? Yeah. I love the breadth of things that we study. I mean, we study everything from, I just actually just got off the phone with um, a company that wants to understand how Muslims who celebrate Ramadan feel about, you know, practicing their religion during the month of Ramadan, you know? Oh, that's I, so neat. I love doing yeah. studies and I love helping companies. I really like at the end of the day, you know, helping a major company think through how they can be better and what mm -hmm. they can do differently. So yeah, I love numbers and I mean, I can, I always say I'd love to be a consultant and tell you what it is that consumers really want, but mm -hmm. I have to go and find out myself. Right. Well, let me ask you this. So a lot of people, when they start their companies, you know, they have a primary kind of discipline. And obviously, your 
research. You're an expert in research. Uh, one of the challenges is in the model of kind of traditional market research is sales and building relationships and having, you know, the pipeline for when you're done amazing meaty study, you look up and you're like, darn, there's nothing here. It seems like you're always connected to people. How do you balance your time from working on a project and getting knee deep into it to then also making sure you have a strong pipeline? Yeah. I mean, so as I mentioned, our company is small for a reason. Yeah. The reason actually is because we did not want to have a sales function that went and sold and then pushed the work down to somebody else. So got it. We actually believe that you can't sell research if you can't actually also do it. Okay. Um, And so that's why we, and I want my senior people not selling. I want them doing. Mm. So I would say, you know, it's really a function of being in this industry for quite a long time. Yeah. It's a function of doing really good work. Um, We have a specialty that I think draws people to us specifically. You know, the truth is a lot of the people that I started working at with, they became friends of mine. Yeah. And so to some extent, you know, having a strong pipeline is Mm -hmm. really a function of sometimes reaching out to people and just saying, hey, how's it going? What's happening? And hey, by the way, I've done some really interesting research lately that I'd love to share with you. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned specialty. What is your company known for in terms of specialties? So we specialize in how emotions influence purchasing. Interesting. Yeah. So we have actually invested fairly significant amounts of money in doing studies that we actually are both able to share okay. uh, with potential and current clients. But there are also studies that we funded so that we can become incredibly smart yeah. about the area. And so what we study is the internal experience of emotion, particularly emotions you feel in relation to brands and how those emotions lead you to purchase over and over again from those particular brands. So that's what we have spent a lot of time trying to understand. We've invested significantly in doing many studies to really refine our model. Okay. Uh, and I'm actually writing a book on it. So this will be your third book. I'm not including your fiction book. I'm yeah. <laughs> so this would be probably my 11th book. But wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. yeah, that's great. Yeah. I want to come back to that in a moment, but I want to just probe a little bit. Like, what are the highlights when you think about? how emotions impact purchasing behavior. What should people think about? Yeah. So the way we think about it is that, first of all, we have an emotional response to brands. Now it might be a a negative response. It might be a positive response or it might be a neutral response. But there's that response that you have about that brand. And so there is this, you know, when I see Coca-Cola, a whole set of associations mm-hmm. happen in my mind. For example, I think about polar bears and Santa Claus and Christmas, and I have this kind yes. of, you know, emotional response to a brand as a result of a lot of communications that they've done over the past several decades that I have uh, witnessed. And so they've created a, an emotional connection with me as a consumer. They've cre- created some associations that have emotional resonance for me. And then, so that's one part of it, but that's not the only part because you can, of course, have a positive emotional response to a brand, but not really think that's particularly a brand for you. Right. And so we found that there's kind of two pieces to it. There's the first part, which is your immediate emotional response mm-hmm. to the brand. But then the other part of it is how much do you emotionally identify with the brand? So is this a brand for people like you? Is mm-hmm. this a brand that kind of understands you? Is this a brand that makes you feel good when you use it? Mm-hmm. And so it's these two pieces, emotional response and emotional identification that go together and create um, a strong connection. So for example, 
Coca-Cola is a great example. I have a strong emotional response to it, but I don't have a strong emotional identification because I actually associate Coca-Cola with carbonated beverages and I don't drink carbonated beverages. So I don't really emotionally identify with it, but I do have a strong emotional response. Got it. In other cases, it's quite different. I have, may have a very strong emotional response to something and I have a strong emotional identification. And so in that case, when I use that brand, I typically, it makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that when brands make you feel good, make you feel things, and when they make you feel good, that you're more likely to continue to um, repeat purchase. And do you see differences depending on the price of the good or service that you might, you know, actually consider buying? Is there any differences as you think about, you know, a can of Coke versus, I'll say, a luxury purse or a car or something like that? Yeah, no, it's a great question. You know, it's interesting. People often ask, is there a difference in terms of the category? Is there a difference mm -hmm. in terms of the price? I mean, I think that we found that strangely enough that people have fairly strong emotional responses to things that are can be sometimes very expensive and sometimes very inexpensive. Right. And it's really a function of, for example, I consider Tide, mm -hmm. you know, to be a brand where people have a fairly strong emotional response to that brand, strong emotional identification. They, they purchase it thinking they're doing something good for themselves and their family and right. they're really going to clean the clothes. You know, it's a $10 purchase, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to solve and, all the problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I would say, you know, my phone bill is like $150 a month and yeah. I have really no strong emotional feeling about AT&T. In fact, it's probably mostly negative. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> But, you know, so I think it's price sometimes is, you know, can play a function. Mm -hmm. I think what's most interesting to me is that when we actually asked people, we did a study where we asked people to describe a purchase they had made from a brand where they felt good about that purchase. It made them personally feel right. good. We actually found that it was actually one across categories. It was anything from electronics to personal care items to apparel, you know, to, I mean, everything. So everything. And, yeah. And we, we do a lot of tire work. And I thought, oh my gosh, tires. Really? Tires. If there's a product that you really don't have a strong emotional response, it's going to be tires. We didn't find that. We did a piece of work where we found that how people felt about themselves using a specific tire. Extremely predictive. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see differences in ethnicities in terms of it's across the board? we see that certain ethnic groups might not respond to certain brands. So some brands might be extremely emotionally um, evocative for some groups, but I mean, the reality is all human beings seem to have some type of response yeah. to all different things. But my big issue is that a lot of brands basically don't pull these levers. And so a lot of times people just have a neutral response to a mm. lot of things. Whereas I think, it's really up for grabs and yeah. you can create an emotional response to many, many things. And GoDaddy did it with their domain registration and their, you know, website building tools with their campaign, make the world you want. It, mm -hmm. it wasn't about, you know, purchasing domain registration right. services or building a website. It was make the world you want. You don't like the world you live in, make the world make it you better. Want. La right. Launch that blog. Yes. You know, get that new idea you've got out into the world. Yeah, you know? and yeah, that's, that's true. That's taking a, a non-emotional category and making it emotional. Yeah. Is there a difference between emotions and feelings? 
I think that emotions and feelings, we kind of use those synonymously. As an emotions researcher, which is what I studied when I was in graduate school, you know, we talk about the emotions. There's sort of five basic ones, anger, sadness, fear, happiness, disgust, contempt, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think feelings, for the most part, I think we feel things, we have a hard time really pinning down exactly what we feel, but I think we tend to feel things sort of at a more subtle level and we mm. kind of know we feel good or bad and you know are we actually angry then that's a pretty negative feeling are yeah we joyously happy that's a very positive feeling got it it sounds interesting it sounds like every study is like it's something new to discover and understand oh yeah yeah we're just uh, wrapping up a study right now that we funded um, that's looking at the strong associations that people have about 20 major brands and uh, we're finding so many interesting oh that is interesting yeah that basically the content in people's minds is we asked them to actually describe a memory Mm. related to each of these brands and it's coming out really interestingly and some of the brands will be totally amazed uh, at what we're finding that the first thing that people think about when they think of that brand is a memory of family and friends oh Oh, my gosh yeah could that not be more emotional yeah yeah that's a home run well, if you have good family and friends. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we talked that we touched on the topic a little bit, but, you know, I just want to say congratulations to you. You're an author. You've written 11 books. Give us a little bit of an idea of that journey for you. Yeah. So I actually, I've always, I think, written like many people have in a journal, lots yeah. of journals. And I obviously wrote you know, when I was in graduate school and we write obviously yeah. for our profession. Papers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But when I started my business, I was very much on my own. Mm-hmm. I ended up, I was pretty successful pretty quickly right after I started it. And okay. Six months into my venture, I ended up getting office space in downtown mm-hmm. Chicago and things are going really great. And then 2007, 2008 hit. And then I had already signed, you know, for like three years, five years. (laughs) (laughs) And my phone stopped ringing and people stopped returning my phone calls and everything could have shut down. And I thought, oh my gosh, what will I do? So I could sit here and cry in my soup or I could do something. And what I decided to do was to write a book. Okay. And so I wrote the book, Strategic Market Research, and I published it with iUniverse and I thought, well, you know, if nothing else, it kept me sane and it was something to do. Yeah. I never expected that it would be the success that it has been. It sells about two copies a day on Amazon. It's now That's amazing. I know. It's not quite a bestseller. (laughs) (laughs) No, but still like just to know that every day there's two people or there's somebody buying two books two yeah. of your right two copies of the book which is kind of yeah. cool yeah. yeah honestly i used it it was a marketing piece that okay. was what i meant i yeah. wrote the book to send to potential clients mm-hmm. as hey you know and, and, I, and I, I felt it was a good book i mean it's in a third edition i think it's the best it's been you know in all these years but right i sent it out to clients as a way to generate business yeah I sent it out as a way to establish credibility and i sent it out you know as a marketing piece i mean mm-hmm. that's what i intended it for i had never any idea that it would be used in colleges and universities, yeah. things like that. I had no idea that it would be written up as one of the best books 
in market research. So, you know, that's kind of what has happened, but that was my journey. And then, of course, after I did that, I thought in my new book that I'm working on now is uh, an analysis of fairy tales and it's um, fairy tales and folk tales around the world. And it's called Only Prince Charming Gets to Break the Rules. Nice. So it's a data <laughs> analysis. Yeah. And also does talk about other research as well that I found about gender and rule violation. Always it sounds like it's cathartic. It gives you that outlet for creative output. And to your point, it's productive and it keeps you sane. It does. You know, I really encourage people, if you are thinking about being an author, to really you know, pursue it. It's yeah. worth it. There's lots of ways to publish now. And it's a lot easier to publish now than it's ever been. And uh, I think we need as many voices as possible out there. Yeah, I'd love to. I know that you presented at the CEO Summit just kind of tips and tricks of how to get started. And I think the one thing that I keep remembering is just start writing. It doesn't matter what you write, just start writing. So that's definitely a goal of mine in, in 2022 is just to start writing. Yeah, I think, you know, the reality is, um, and people say to me, well, I don't have time to write a book. You know, I'm really busy. I have three kids, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I hear you. And, you know, I say just write a little bit, even if it's mm-hmm. a, a paragraph a day. Yeah. Or just keep a journal next to you when yeah. you have an idea and just jot down the idea because that's the stuff that you can mine later, you know. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you at the next conference very soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the invite. Take care. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling programming and hosting services or consultation we are agile and quick to meet your needs visit paradigmsample.com today thank you for tuning in to data gurus podcast this episode has ended but your exploration doesn't have to Head over to www.datagurusspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.